From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Ariano. Today, there are roughly 200,000 people locked up in prisons and jails around California on any given day. They're notorious powder kegs for infectious diseases like coronavirus. That's why families of the imprisoned are lobbying governors and sheriffs around the country to let out low-risk inmates right now. Later in the podcast, we'll hear from someone locked up in the California Institution for Women in Corona. But our first guest today was released from prison along with 20 other inmates just weeks ago. Rosemary Dyer wasn't sure she'd ever get out, sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in 1989 for murdering her abusive husband. She became an advocate for domestic abuse survivors, but her repeated requests for a sentence commutation were rejected again and again until now. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Rosemary, you were in prison for 32 years. You've been trying to have your sentence commuted almost all that time. It finally gets commuted in early April. You get released and you come to a world filled with coronavirus. How are you feeling? I'm actually feeling good. And not to correct you, but I was in 34 years. 34 years. Okay, thank you. I'm, I actually feel safer right now than I've felt in a long while. In prison, there was not the control that there should have been. I know that in 2009, when we had the quarantine for the norovirus, there was more control then than there was now when, before I left. But what oh, I wow. understand now is that the institution that I came from is now on full lockdown. So I'm just hoping that it is a full quarantine like it was in 2009 because the officers there just, they could be standing 10 feet away and they would not say anything to the inmates who were not observing the six feet distance. There was just so much contradiction. They would tell us we have to do this, but then nobody enforced it. Yeah. You know, the, the inmates were allowed to do basically what they wanted. And uh, the COs weren't wearing masks. They tr- actually tried, one of the officers tried to take my mask away from me. Oh, why? What was the reason? He, he said, it's not allowed. And I said, excuse me, but my doctor gave this to me. You're a particularly vul- vulnerability to COVID-19. Yes. I, am, I have cancer. I have, I'm in heart failure. I have many medical issues, so I have to really be protective of my health. And so when he was trying to take my mask away, I'm like, no. He was one of the newer officers and didn't know me. And I just came out and told him no. And I turned around and I called to another one of the officers and I told him, would you please tell him it's not going to do any good to try to take my mask? And the other officer says, just leave her alone. Yeah. At what point did the COs, the correctional officers, start thinking, oh, wow, maybe this coronavirus thing is going to be real and we better help out those inside? I don't think that they did until one of theirs got sick Mm. and it became real. And it was when one of theirs was tested positive. That's when they started thinking, "Okay, let's let's take another look. And I left the prison on Thursday and 
from what I understand from my sources, they were on full lockdown on Monday. So uh, I know Fiona Ma called me and she told me, we got you out of there just in the nick of time. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Because we would have been locked up in ourselves, which I knew was coming. I knew it was going to come. I knew that the minute that one person tested positive, we would be on lockdown. And I think one of the best things that CDCR did was to stop visiting as early as they did. The Department of Corrections. Yeah, the Department of Corrections stopped our our visiting in early February. Oh, wow. And I think that is one of the best things they did because like in 2009, the norovirus came in through visiting and infected a lot of people. Yeah, d- describe that about norovirus and how easily uh, diseases do spread inside. Oh, the norovirus. Actually, I got that. One of my friends had been to visiting on on Sunday, and by Monday night, they had taken her to the emergency room, and she. I never saw her again. Yeah. And she she ended. She was on life support for almost three weeks until she passed away, and. Three days after they took her to the hospital, uh, I had been sitting on the toilet all night long, getting sick in, in my trash can and uh, using the other end. And that, the next morning when we got popped out, I ended up going over to TTA, which is our little emergency room. They hydrated me and sent me back home and said, it's just the flu, just go back and... and Treat it just like the flu. That was at nine o'clock in the morning. By ten forty-five, my whole unit was on lockdown because we had like ten cases from my unit. There were ten cases within hours. Within a matter of days, it was all over the yard. Back with with norovirus, yeah. And so we were on quarantine. I believe it was a total of. 23 days where they brought us our meals. They brought us our medication. They, you know, they were serious about it. We were only let out of our rooms two at a time to go shower. This, they, I knew that they weren't going to do anything as far as locking us down until somebody actually got sick. And it was one of theirs. They have several cases of inmates now that have it. Us and not them. Wow. Were, were any prisoners right now, were, were they doing their own masks? Or what, what were some of the ways that they were starting to, trying to at least be cleaner or as coronavirus was slowly creeping into prisons? A lot of the inmates were making their own masks, whether it be out of socks or whatever they could come up with, you know, just to have a barrier. And uh, washing their hands all the time. And that was a big thing. I was joking with my people that I think my hands are going to disintegrate. I've watched them so many times. And I carried around a little bottle of disinfectant so that when I used the phone, I could disinfect the phone before I, before I touched it. When I used the, the email kiosk, I disinfected it before I touch it. And, you know, you've got a bunkie that I don't know what she's doing. You know, she's up on her bed. I don't know if she's picking her nose or, excuse me, but, and when she comes down and uses the sink or touches, touches the door, you know, 
if she hasn't washed her hands immediately, I don't know. So one of my things that I did when I had a bunkie was I used tissue to touch everything with. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Of course, a lot of people out in the public say the state of California shouldn't be commuting sentences for any prisoners of any kind. Coronavirus is not an excuse. What would be your response to uh, people like that? Well, I started seeking a commutation in my sentence long before coronavirus hit. I've done 34 years in prison. I am not the person I was before, not that I was a bad person before. I was arrested because I defended myself against my husband, who was very, very abusive, and nobody ever helped. I've done a lot of uh, publicity. I've been on a documentary called Sin by Silence and trying to promote awareness of domestic violence. Every time they would show the documentary, I would get mail from all over the world. I answered it and talk to people. Some of these women would call and say, what can I do? Help me, help me. Sometimes the things that broke my heart were the, were the children writing me letters saying, thank you for saving my mama's life. And I'm like, that's heartbreaking to have a child write to you and say, thank you for saving my mama. I'm like, because what, what we don't realize is that our children are learning they're seeing all of the violence and sometimes that accounts for people end up ending up going to prison for being violent. Sometimes it accounts for more victims. And right now, studies are showing that domestic violence rates are going through the roof with this coronavirus lockdown. Yes. And because if when you're stuck at home, who are you stuck with? You're stuck with the person that's abusing you or you're stuck with the person that is easy to abuse. Tempers are raging because they can't do their normal activities. And, you know, it's understandable, but, oh, Lord, it shouldn't be going on. But it does. What, what advice do you have for people who do feel cooped up right now? Obviously, it does not compare to prison, not even close. But a lot of people are already showing signs that, you know, they want to be out. They want to do something. So what were some, some self-coping mechanisms that you would advise to people? Well, it's kind of like having cabin fever in the winter. You know, you want to get out, you want to do things, but the weather doesn't allow. I read a lot. I write letters a lot to my friends. Reading is an escape. You know, it helps you go somewhere else. It helps broaden your horizons. You know, a lot of people write journals and talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes that helps people to deal with what's going on, no matter what it is. Once these shelter-in-place edicts uh, are lifted, you know, you basically went from a prison cell to a hotel room where you really can't leave. But once all of that's done, 
Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? Well, I'm uh, when COVID is over, uh, I will be transferring to uh, transitional housing called Home Free. It's specifically for domestic violence survivors who have left prison and need a safe place to go. It is dealing with all the transitional things that we deal with. We don't, you know, the only other thing transitional housing is for drug users, for for people who have alcohol problems. And I never had any of those problems. So why do I want to go to a place that's going to teach that? And that's all their programs are. So I'm going to a place that's going to to help strengthen my resolve to uh, remain out of a domestic violence relationship. Uh, I'm going to volunteer at domestic violence shelters to help other battered women. I see myself as being able to help and to contribute to society. I, I don't want anyone else to ever wind up in prison because they don't feel there's any other way out. Before we go, we're going to hear from a woman who's an inmate in the California prison system right now and is worried about the growing number of COVID-19 infections in the prison where she lives. I have a call from Monique, an inmate at the California Institution for Women, Corona, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Hello? My name is Monique Ramirez. I'm 45 years old. I'm currently a lifer. Uh, I've been down since January of 95. Okay, I told you about the staff who got it. The girl in his unit tested positive for COVID, and he's on leave because he had came in contact with her. So right now we do have some people in quarantine in another unit. We're in an enclosed environment because our, our room is six feet, period. So there's 30 rooms in, in this hallway that I have that I live in. People really want masks. The inmates are making them themselves. Everyone has bananas. They use their shirt. And one girl, oh, one girl cut her momo, uh, which is state momo, made a mask out of it, and then the officer wrote her up and for destruction of state property. All everybody asks for is, 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 is cleaning supplies. When are we going to clean? When are we going to get masks? It's scary. It's a scary thing, and everyone thinks that we're going to end, you know? And and, they, and and we know we're going to die, but not like this, <laughs> you know? It's like crying right now. <laughs> it's sad. Monique says she's more worried about the spread in the county jail system. That's where people go when they're first arrested and haven't been convicted. She was in an L.A. County jail up until recently when she was transferred to their women's detention facility in Linwood for a court appearance. Monique worries inmates there have an even higher risk for catching the coronavirus. When um, people were in there trying to see the doctor for all kinds of other stuff, that they were sick, and it was taking them like 30 days. There was absolutely no rec time, absolutely no air, no fresh air. You're locked down. 23 hours a day. It's way overcrowded. Day rooms have 13 to 15 bunks in that day room. It's just crazy. You turn around and you're next to somebody. I mean, girls came in with lice and passed it immediately. 
there's no help there for that at all. We reached out to the California Department of Corrections for comment. They emailed us back to say the California Institution for Women is giving all inmates reusable cloth masks, showing them videos about hand washing and disinfecting cells frequently. The Corrections Department is also expediting the parole of 3,500 inmates living in prisons across California. More than 200 inmates and staff have so far tested positive for the disease. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Keflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Eppen. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.